Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have a Bible handy, I want to ask you to meet me in Job chapter 13. We'll read part of a verse there uh, in just a moment. Early in the morning on August the 29, 2005, Hurricane Katrina struck the Gulf Coast of the United States with sustained winds of 100 to 140 miles an hour. They said that storm stretched for over 400 miles. And while the storm itself did a great deal of damage, its aftermath was catastrophic. 1,833 people lost their lives. Many of those died as the result of levees failing, which led to massive flooding. One resident of Biloxi, Mississippi, who survived that epic storm was named Carlotta Bennett. She and her husband, Clayburg, and their three children found themselves trapped in the attic of their home, which had been moved off its foundation by the floodwaters. To make matters worse, the wind was blowing sections of the roof off. Carlotta was convinced they were all going to die. That's when her four-year-old daughter said to her, Mama, you got to calm down. Let's pray. And the whole family joined hands and started praying. And when they finished, the water started receding. When the family was able to make their way down the attic stairs, they found that almost every exit was blocked. And so Clayburg led his family through a window, and all five of them made their way through all kinds of debris to a local middle school. At the middle school, they joined more than 350 other people, many of them injured, who was already living there without any running water or electricity. The living conditions were becoming dangerously unhealthy, and so after five days, most of the families moved outside where they lived on the parking lot for five more days. With their world in disarray, the Bennetts and other destitute families began to pray for a miracle. In the face of such suffering, choosing faith was the only thing they knew to do. In the midst of such suffering, 
Choosing faith was the only thing they knew to do. I think I speak for our entire family tonight when I say that following the news of our son's death and in the face of such suffering, like the Bennetts and others, choosing faith was the only thing we knew to do. We didn't, we didn't have an egg in any other basket. All of our eggs were in the Jesus basket. Since we've been married, all of our eggs has been in the faith basket. I mean, we've been invested in the Bible. We've been invested in the Lord's work. We've been invested in faith. And I'm serious, we, would, we didn't have anywhere else to go, preacher. It was, it was faith for us. That's all we had. <laughs> and if this faith thing doesn't work out, we're in trouble. Because we don't have an egg in any other basket. We're all in for Jesus. And always have been since, since we began as a, a family. Many thousands of years ago, before the Bennetts, before the Praetors, there was a man who chose faith in the midst of suffering. And his name was Job. And as the preacher mentioned a few minutes ago, and as we'll see here, in one afternoon, he lost his ten children and all of his wealth. And not long after that, he was afflicted with a horrid skin disease. But in spite of what he lost... He kept his faith. Look at verse 15 of Job chapter 13, just that first part there. Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. What faith? Even if he takes my life, I will trust in him. Thanks to Job's example, many believers have been able to maintain their faith in God in the midst of, of some unimaginable suffering. And, and we have often been encouraged by Various men of God, no doubt your pastor and other men of God who've stood in this pulpit and, and missionary after missionary after missionary who've, who've stood in this pulpit and they've shared great stories and great biblical truths of what faith can do. I mean, we've got a whole chapter in the book of Hebrews about what faith can do and what faith has done and it's it's incredible the things that faith has done and the stories that people have to share about what we can do through faith but seldom if ever 
have we been made to realize that there are some things that even the greatest faith cannot do in the midst of suffering. And that's what I want to address in this message tonight. With the Lord's help, I'm going to offer you a very simple outline. First, we're, we're going to consider three things that choosing faith won't do for someone who suffers. Now, please understand me, that's not to say that faith is the wrong choice. It's not. Faith is never the wrong choice. But there are some things that even a Job-like faith won't do. And so I'll address that first, and then with the Lord's help, I'll offer you three things that faith will do, all from the story of Job. So let's begin with, with this reality tonight. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering will not alleviate the pain. Turn back with me to chapter 1 of the book of Job. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering will not alleviate the pain. Begin reading in verse 13 with me, if you would, Job chapter 1. And there was a day when, the son, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away. Yea, and have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, do you see what's happening here? Have you ever had one of those days where at the end of the day you said, man, it just seemed like it was one thing right after another. <laughs> Job's having one of those days. I mean, the first guy hadn't even left. And the other guy, I mean, he's, he's standing right behind him. And that guy hadn't left, and there's another messenger, and another messenger, and another. Look at it, verse 18, while he was yet speaking. There came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head 
and fell down upon the ground. Job was nearly crushed by the pain of suffering. He tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell upon the ground when he heard that his children had died. I remember that night so well. As I walked out into the living room and had the phone on on hands-free and as I said this morning, the first three words out of Sheena's mouth were, TJ is dead. And I remember that night falling to my knees and burying my head in the recliner. I've served as a chaplain for our police department for many years now, and unfortunately I've made a number of death notifications, and I've watched, I've watched fathers crumble to their knees at the announcement of the death of a child. And that night, I was that guy. I couldn't breathe. I I had to get up, and I I just walked around in the living room. I I couldn't catch my breath. It literally took my breath away. And here's Job, and he gets word that his children are dead, and he falls to the ground. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Not only did Job suffer the losses that we just read about in chapter 1, but he also lost his health. The physical pain was so incredibly bad that he chose to use broken pieces of pottery to scrape himself. And yet in the midst of such pain and such heartache, Job said this in verse 21 of chapter 1, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, And naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Drop down to verse 10 of chapter 2. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Job chose faith, but it didn't alleviate the pain. Anytime Katie and I stand at TJ's grave, we grieve as though he died days ago not years ago. I hope that you've been able to see throughout this morning that that we've chosen to trust God. We've chosen the path of faith. 
And we've done our best to honor Him through, through all of it. But that is not taken away our pain. Faith has not done that. And faith will not do that. We will still hurt. So church, please, please understand tonight, just because you're still grieving your loss doesn't mean you don't have faith. It just means you're human. The second thing choosing faith will not do is it will not eliminate the questions. Have you ever had a, I don't know if they do it much anymore, but some of you probably have had a doctor check your reflexes. You know that little mallet? Here's you go, you go, and then you go home, you got, you got to try it on your wife. As a matter of fact, I did that on this trip. We were at the airport. Just remembered that. We were at the airport, and I went boosh. Well, it still works. Just as that rubber hammer produces a reflex kickback, so a blow to our soul creates a reflex that is manifested in the question, why? Our questions are not a sign of faithlessness. They are simply our soul's natural response to pain. I talked about spraining my ankle this morning. It's, it's like when you sprain your ankle. Our body's natural reflex is to rush fluids to the area causing swelling. After such an injury, swelling is a, a natural, is natural and to some extent unavoidable. It's going to happen. It prepares the injured site for healing. But our bodies in response to the trauma tend to overdo the reaction. And so that's why medically we're instructed to control the swelling, right? With ice and pressure. And in the same way, as I said this morning, I think it's possible to overdo our questioning. To focus too much on why. And go from, from questioning to almost demanding. God, I have to know why. You have to show me why. You have to tell me why. And so we develop this sense of entitlement. And the longer our question goes unanswered, the more prone we are to bitterness. The third thing that faith will not do, it will not create a logical explanation for our suffering. 
Oh, well, I'm a man of faith. I'm a woman of faith. We're a family of faith. We're going we're gonna to make sense of this. <laughs> Four years later, and it still doesn't make any sense. Not a lick of sense. Faith will not automatically help us create a logical explanation for why we're going through what we're going through. The book of Job presents one of the most unusual pictures in all the Bible. On two separate occasions, the God of all the universe entertains an audience with Satan. The subject of their conversations was a nearly flawless man named Job and how he might be tortured. One writer described it as a test for the Roman Colosseum and God himself takes a seat to see how much of a beating the overpowered one can take. Now, let's be honest tonight. We don't like anything about this story. We don't like God having a conversation with the enemy. We don't like God watching from the sidelines. We don't enjoy the indescribable pain and suffering that Job had to endure. Are you with me on that? I mean, nothing about this story seems to make sense. And it certainly isn't satisfying in any way. But that's part of the point. So much suffering doesn't make sense. In our minds... Life ought to be like what's described in the first four verses of the book of Job. There we're presented with this picturesque scene. Job is married. He walked with God. He was well respected. He was more than comfortable financially. And to top it all off, listen to this mom and dad, all of his kids grew up to love each other. Hallelujah for that. I mean, that's the life that we all want, right? But all too often, our dreams of life collide with the realities of life. And we find ourselves living a nightmarish existence consisting of things like grief and hardship and misfortune and illness and crisis and tragedy and so many other undesirable things. But even in the midst of the worst of times, faith is still the best option. 
even if it appears to be the illogical choice. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering as Job did looks like insanity to those who are watching. It looked insane to Job's friends. And it, was, and it certainly didn't make any sense to his wife. The preacher mentioned this. I mean, her only two lines, her only two lines in this whole narrative are found in chapter 2 and verse 9 where she says, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. She's out. Don't hear anything else from her, which is probably a good thing. Listen, a lot of things about faith don't make sense to those outside the family of faith. But despite all of the reasons why Job might not have chosen faith in the midst of his suffering, he chose it anyway. And by doing so, he made the better choice by far, and he survived his season of grief. And he showed us some things that faith will do in the midst of suffering. For example, choosing faith in the midst of suffering will remind you that God is in control. When we choose faith, we are declaring our trust in the very God who allows the difficult circumstances in the first place. Remember what Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. When we look carefully at Job's story, we find that the only being in complete control of all of the events is God. And church, understand this tonight. Choosing faith doesn't allow God to be in control. It acknowledges that He has always been and always will be in control. Study the conversation between God and Satan. Job would have struggled with those conversations as much as we do. He wouldn't have liked it at all. Nor would it have made sense to him. But there's no doubt that the conversations were crystal clear to God. He wasn't tricked by Satan. He didn't misunderstand. God carefully weighed the options. He considered the ramifications 
And he made a choice. At no time did he lose control. Though suffering doesn't make sense, and faith in the midst of suffering seems to make even less sense, placing your faith Placing your life in the hands of the only God who can take care of you in this world and the next is ultimately the only logical action that a person can ever take. The second thing choosing faith and suffering will do is it will present a rare gift to God. If you have your Bibles open still to Job 1, look at verse 20 again. Then Job arose and rent his clothes, excuse me, rent his mantle, and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground. And what, church? Talk to me. What did he do? He worshiped. What an amazing response. Hey, anyone, anyone can sing a song of praise on the good days. Right? All of us had, Brother Sammy. God is so good. His goodness is running after. It's running after me. And that's easy to sing on the good days. I stood there and sung that this morning with all of my heart. It was easy. But it takes a person of tremendous faith and tremendous spiritual maturity to sing those same songs on the bad days. Oh, but listen, church, listen. If you can do that, you will give God a precious gift of worship that may be unlike any gift you will ever give Him again. Job was wise enough to know that God had controlled the good days and was just as surely controlling the bad days. Beyond that, Job learned a lesson that must be remembered in a time of suffering. And it's this. Nothing about your present circumstances be they good or bad, have changed the first thing about the nature of God. God is the same today as He was yesterday and will be tomorrow. And listen to me tonight, He is always worthy of our praise. 
In the midst of Job's story, he makes a statement that very well could have been the one thing that helped him keep it all together. And it's found in chapter 19 and verse 25 where he says, For I know, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Understanding how bad Job had it when he spoke those words is what makes them so memorable to us and such a precious gift to God. Job had faith that one day the Lord would come in righteousness, bringing peace and restoring what was lost. Listen tonight, church, one day God's going to put it all back together. And we know that our Redeemer liveth and that all the wrongs are going to be made right. And by the way, Job wasn't the only, or excuse me, Job wasn't the last to give the gift of worship in the midst of pain. Paul and Silas did it too. You remember those guys over there in the book of Acts? Their first visit to Philippi, they were wrongly accused, severely beaten, put into stocks, thrown into prison. And as the story goes, at midnight, according to Acts 16, They were heard singing songs of praise to the very same God who had let them go through what must have seemed to them like a Job-like day. And that single day of suffering, coupled with the way that two faith-driven men reacted to that suffering, created a church in Philippi that would help change the world. It was one of the greatest gifts that either man ever gave their Savior. And had they missed the opportunity, they would have never had such a great harvest in that community. Church, listen tonight. If you're in the midst of suffering, you're also in the midst of an incredible opportunity. Did you hear me? If you're in the midst of suffering, don't miss this. You're also in the midst of an incredible opportunity. And if you can worship now, the gift you give may be more valuable than it ever has been or ever will be again. 
Here's the final thing choosing faith in the midst of suffering will do. It will result in a never-before-closeness to God. I want to quote John Kitchen again. I, I, I used this this morning. And this is such a, such a weighty statement. He said, our deepest encounters with God may come wrapped in the deepest pains of life. Though he didn't know it yet, Job was on his way to the most intimate encounter with God that he would ever have in his lifetime. Through the season of suffering that had fallen upon him, he was starting a, a short journey that would lead to his greatest understanding of who God was. Listen to what he said at the end. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now, now, that I've gone through all of this, mine eyes seeth thee. For 35 plus years, I preached and we taught and we counseled and we shared the truths of uh, of the Word of God about who He is and how He loves us and how He cares for us and how He helps us and how He supports us and how He gets us through. And, and we shared all of that with, with so many people. We walked the, uh, alongside people just like your pastor has. We've walked line, uh, alongside people in, in times of grief, some unimaginable grief and loss and sorrow and suffering and, and all along this path we said listen God is good and, 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 and God knows what he's doing and, and, and this about God and that about God and all this other stuff about God <laughs> and then all of a sudden without any without any notice <laughs> we had to believe everything that we had ever taught And you know what we found, church? We found that God's Word is true. God's Word is right. He is everything that this book says He is. And He will do everything this book says He will do. Lord, I've heard it, and I taught it, and I shared it. But as I stand here tonight, I know it. I know it. And you can know it. The road of suffering was the only road that would lead Job to a more intimate encounter with God. And so it was with David. 
he became the most beloved songwriter in the history of faith. And most of his great psalms came straight out of his seasons of suffering. I think about the disciples. After the worst weekend of their lives, they experienced the life-changing power of the resurrection. To say that they learned more about God through that weekend would be the understatement of all history. Ever since that glorious event, those who have suffered and looked for God have been finding hope in the Savior who died for them. So a very simple outline tonight. But I pray it offered some very helpful truth. Choosing faith in the midst of suffering. It's not going to alleviate the pain. And it's not going to eliminate the questions. And it's not going to create a logical explanation for why you're going through what you're going through. But it will remind you that God is still in control. And it will afford you an opportunity to present the rare gift of worship to God. And if you let it, It will result in a never-before closeness to Him. I believe there are a number of appropriate responses to the message tonight. For anyone who has not yet found their hope in Jesus Christ to a personal relationship with Him. We would love to have the opportunity to guide you tonight in making that decision. Then, for anyone who can relate to this message more personally than you would like to be able to, Because of present suffering in your life. Listen to me tonight. I'm sorry. And I mean that. I wish there was something I could do to make things better for you. And for a lot of other people. If your present suffering or suffering in the past. has brought confusion and doubt. And if you were honest tonight, 
you would say that you feel like those things are, are leading to a disconnect between you and the Lord? Would you do something about that tonight? Before it's too late. Don't let the devil use your suffering to drive a wedge between you and God. Humbly bow before the Lord tonight and recommit your life to faith in God. And finally, if life is good for you right now, Praise the Lord. I mean that. I don't begrudge you of that at all. If life's good and, and it's wonderful and it's incredibly awesome, praise the Lord. In that case, perhaps God would lay it on your heart to come and pray for someone who's not currently living that reality. And even better, if this is the culture of your church. If the Lord leads, perhaps you would want to go to someone like that. If they're here tonight, you would want to just make your way to where they're at. Maybe a couple other folks would want to go and just, just pray over a brother or sister. You're just really going through it right now. You do what God leads you to do, would you? Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.